Hello, hello. You found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. This is Mike. We're just going to launch in because a few things to talk about. I know we're going to talk about Stephanie Miller's sexy liberal tour. And I watched Into the Woods last night. Oh, how great. And I'm sure we'll have a couple of other topics at least. Yeah. I watched what she said, the documentary about Pauline Kael. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. I want to, though. It's very interesting. Shall we uh, briefly touch on Stephanie Miller and her Sure. Now, some of you may not know who Stephanie Miller is. In fact, probably a lot of you don't know who she is, but she is a liberal talk show host who has a radio show that is nationwide. And Mm -hmm. I listen to her on a podcast and you, Mike, listen to her on the radio. Is that right? Well, she's not on a local station here. So I listen through an app on my phone called TuneIn. So if you get TuneIn on your phone or on your computer, then you can log into all these different radio stations across the country. I listen to her on a Minneapolis liberal radio station while her show is being broadcast live because it's not broadcast in LA. She doesn't have a station. Oh, there's something very wrong about that since she's based in LA. Yeah. Well, that's how I discovered her when she was on the radio here, but then she lost her station here. She was part of Air America along with Al Franken and someone else you may know named Randy Rhodes, who is really brilliant also. And Mm -hmm. that was in, I think, 2004 when I first started listening. She describes her show as a Mensa meeting with fart jokes, which I think oh, is yeah. relatively, I don't know about the Mensa part. Yeah, but the fart jokes we can <laughs> attest to. Definitely. The word that comes to mind when I think about it is silly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but in a very therapeutic and welcome way. Well, in a positive way that those of us who really, really dislike Trump can enjoy. Mm-hmm. And we had the speed dating with other audience members before the show, that which was, was also great fun. I it was that. great to meet other like-minded souls from yeah. all over the country. Even those who couldn't hear us. Yes, we had technical issues with one of them, but she was the best one. Yes. <laughs> well, I liked her because she said, oh, damn, I wish I could hear you because you both <laughs> look so interesting. Well, um, <laughs> I said, well, we are. It's just a fact. The way it worked was we had an hour before the actual show to check in with one other member. Now, it just happened that Mike and I were together and most of the other people were solo. At least all the people that we were matched with were Mm -hmm. solo. But it gave a little... But uh, we wanted to pay half price, so we did it together. Are you saying we're cheap? <laughs> no, we, we, we're fiscally conservative. It was fascinating because we got to meet other like-minded people. And after four, we actually got a little tired. And Yes, that's right. We could only be charming for short that's periods right. of time without a cocktail. We had to lubricate before the show started. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think we had at least two margaritas before the start of the show. Probably two before and one during, something like that. Yeah, it was very nice. Let's see. Now, you had never seen her before, is that right? You've never seen one of those sexy little... Um, no, I had never seen her, her stage show Okay. Sexy liberal show. It didn't surprise, it was kind of what I expected, although it was a little more canned and it was all done in advance. Mm -hmm. And I thought we would get to see her live, but no. I felt the same. I thought it was going to be live. So I was surprised that it wasn't more like a Zoom free for all. There should have at least been a live component. I mean, the pre-recorded segments were excellent, most of them. The Mm -hmm. one by Hal Sparks was brilliant, except Mm -hmm. even his last sketch fell fell flat. Yes, it was a little flat. He more than made up for it with the ones that preceded it. He was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So there was Hal Spark, John Mm -hmm. Pugelsang, Frangela, Mm -hmm. Goldberg, an interview with Joy Reid. 
Oh, that's right. That was fun. And yeah. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. I don't think I... I think that was it. And Stephanie and her dogs. And her bicycle. Yes. And it's opened with Stephanie in her bed with her breasts bared but pixelated while, yes. she's, while she's reading one poll after another that has Trump <laughs> down anywhere from 9 to 15 points. So no, it was fun. And it was fun to see her. She seemed to be genuinely having a great time doing it. Yeah. And I think the whole show was, given the circumstances that we're facing, it was very upbeat. Yeah. Well, that's what drew me to her show in the first place, was when we had Bush, which I thought was the end of the world. Of course. <laughs> she made it fun. No. She made it fun. And that, that's the whole point, you know. And so it, it yes. was so it was fun to get that experience anew. Exactly. Yeah. We and don't have to be dour just because our country's going to shit. No, I think that there is a time and a place to be dour, but mm -hmm. there's also a time and a place to make fun of the people who are doing such a bad job at their job. So I saw, as I threatened to do, I watched Into the Woods ah. last night. You watched the feature film? I watched the film. Although I noticed that there, it looked like on Netflix that there was another version of it. There might be a filmed version of the stage production. Yeah, maybe that was it. But yeah. I have to say, the first act was just a joy. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a joy. And since I wasn't familiar with the music, I was really surprised how with it I was with the music. Because Sondheim, for me, sometimes I need to hear it a number of times before I'm sort of humming those tunes. Right. But this was very tuneful. And I loved Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah. It's such a treasure. She's obnoxious and not afraid to be that way. Absolutely. And I I thought yeah. this girl was made for this part. Yeah. I couldn't imagine anybody else playing that role. She was so yeah. great. When she comes back wearing her wolf stole and she's oh, yes. all full she's of herself. so proud of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, she was she was absolutely fantastic. And yeah. I really like James Court. What is his oh, name? Right. James? Corden. Corden, James Corden. Now, he won a Tony, I remember, for a play. I want to say it's called The Two Gentlemen. I'm going to have to check on that. I'm not actually sure sitting here that that was the title, but he mm -hmm. did win a Tony. And I forgot, and I often forget, even when I'm watching his carpool karaoke, right. that he is an actual stage actor and singer. And yeah. And singer. And he yeah. was really, really good. Yeah. I thought he played that part to a T. Was he the baker? He was the baker. And Johnny so, Depp was the wolf. Oh, that's right. Oh, he was absolute type. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, little girl. Yeah. Hello, little girl. And they had yeah. that growl under his. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, you know, uh, Sondheim had a ball writing that song. Was that song written for Johnny Depp? No, it was written for the stage version that premiered oh, okay. in San Diego. It premiered in San Diego? Well, they, they workshopped it at the Globe in San Diego. And then the oh next year, it opened on Broadway. And I happened to be out here. I came out to LA during that time and I drove down to San Diego to see it and I was so blown away by it. And it was brilliant on Broadway for me, but they put Bernadette Peters in that role to sell tickets. And oh. she, she's brilliant. I've, oh, I'm just going to say it. She was totally wrong for that part. Well, we've seen her in parts where she prevailed, even though she was wrong for them, like in Jesse. That's true. But brilliant. as a witch, that is that is a big stretch. Um, oh, she was great in Sunday in the Park with George. She was perfect for that one. I still, I have yet to see that one. I've got to oh. watch that. It's on YouTube. 
the first act was just, it was really just like looking into an Easter egg, you mm -hmm. know? It was mm -hmm. just beautiful. And then that second act, I gotta say, the second act, have you seen the film version of it? Uh, I saw the film and I've seen stage versions several times. So I, I kind of know, the movie version's not that far off, as I recall, from the way it was staged. I thought it might have been the direction because Rob Marshall is someone who, I go very hot and cold on him because I mm -hmm. think he's hot and cold on his directions. He directed Chicago. Right. And I thought he did a great job with that, although I had my problems with it, but I thought that he really brought that across. I that did was too. a musical yeah. that adapted to the screen and it yeah. looked great on screen. Right. Well, and it, that show is about pizzazz and sparkle. And so yeah. film, it kind of lent itself to being filmed, I think. Not to it say did. that he, he didn't do a great job, but it it was a good match for yes. making into a movie. And he had such a great cast. I mean, he had mm -hmm. a great cast in Into the Woods as well. Emily Blunt mm -hmm. was amazing. Yeah. Fine, who I love as a dramatic actor. And if you ever are sitting on your couch wondering what you should watch and you have a spare night, I really highly recommend Hell or High Water, which is a modern day kind of Western robbery film that is so well done. It's just a little film, but it's so well done. And I think he's a wonderful actor. And I kept watching him in this and thinking, he's a little smarmy. I mean, I'm just not mm -hmm. used to that. And then, of course, you get to the second act and he says, well, I was made to be charming, not to be sensible. And I thought, oh, okay, so that's the whole thing. I got it. So he yeah. fulfilled his role. But yeah, that second act is really a bummer. <laughs> yeah, it gets ponderous in act two. It becomes kind of about spirituality and psychology and the dark side of relationships, parental relationships, things like that. Well, what was so wonderful about the first act is how the sexuality is really undercut by the music and when the wolf comes out and sees Little Red Riding Hood and the way he's talking about her flesh it's just it's so sexual mm -hmm. but of course you could read it the other way as well and just think mm -hmm. of it as as, as, as yeah yeah, exactly. And the sexuality between the baker and his wife and, and the child that they can't seem to have and all of that was really wonderfully done. Yeah, but that second act just really drops like a stone. And that's maybe that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to, in act one, we have, this is what the characters want and think they need. And right. this is what they do to get what they need. And then, of course, the end of Act One is happy ever after. And everybody's yes. ecstatic because everyone's gotten what they needed. And then Act Two is about what happens after you get what you want. And it is an interesting question, but theatrically, I think the play suffers because the pacing becomes very ponderous and slow. It was very ponderous. And even Meryl Streep's second song mm -hmm. just seemed to go on forever. You know, she's an institution, so what can you say about Meryl Streep? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I didn't think that the choreography served her well. It was very contained, which it mm -hmm. didn't need to be. I mean, she's a witch, she mm -hmm. has power, she can go many places, but still she was sort of stuck on this <laughs> this rock. And I have to say that I think part of that was Rob Marshall's choices. Anyway, I, I'm so glad that I watched it though, because that first act is just a doozy. So it was definitely worth the $3.99 that I paid to watch it. And I thoroughly enjoyed the first hour, at least. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I loved that the woman who played the giantess is also the giantess in Harry Potter. Oh. I guess this woman must be, she must be six and a half feet tall because she gets cast as a giant oh, in, wow. in so many things. Yeah. 
Now you saw what the... she said or what she said. <laughs> I'm not sure how they mean that to be. What used. she said actually sounds more like a Me Too kind of a documentary. Yeah, what but... she said. What she said. What she said. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a documentary about Pauline Kael, the film critic for the New Yorker, and they have lots. I didn't know there was just lots and lots of footage of her lots of tv interviews lectures she really? was she was really all over the place i only heard of her in high school because our drama teacher mrs Schutz, said that she and her husband would only go to movies that pauline kale liked and they said i remember her saying we know that we're going to miss some good movies by following that plan but we know we'll never see a bad one. And so that stayed with huh. me. So that, that's when I first heard about Pauline Kael. And I yeah. can't claim that I was, I was not a follower of hers or a reader of hers or anything like that. I just knew she existed and that she was considered quite an authority on film. So boy, it's really interesting. I, the more time I have away from it, the more I see, I think what a successful documentary it was because it was definitely not a puff piece. It really strove to show her pluses and her minuses and they didn't skimp on the minuses, which were that as outspoken as she was and as fearless as she was to say anything and not worry about what an editor might think or uh, the movie companies might think or whatever her boss might think, she was fearless in her holding to her own view and her own subjective experience. But she could be really mean in the reviews, but also in remarks about other colleagues and things like that. Her hook was that she spoke very colloquially. I mean, she spoke in a very erudite way, but she didn't speak like an academic writing a paper about a movie. She had spicy language. Oh, that was a part of her too. She, she didn't shy away from sensuality and stuff like that in movies. And she could describe things with great detail. And she seemed very comfortable with all of that. In fact, they spend a lot of time on her review of Last Tango in Paris. Last Tango in Paris, which I remember so well. She absolutely hated it. And I can't remember the quotes, but she didn't hold back from alluding in a very direct way to the nudity and the sex and all of that. She found it a very insulting movie. And oh, all the other critics, you know, were just huge. raved about yeah. it. So it was great. She, she was definitely an iconoclast and she had her own point of view. And they saved quite outright at the end that she lacked, how do they put it? She lacked a filter of kindness, even if you're yeah. criticizing their work, that it doesn't have to be mean but she simply lacked that gene, apparently. Mm. And they interview her daughter, which is really interesting. It's great. It's great to see it because you see the, the great respect everyone has for her, and rightly so, because she kind of redefined what a film critic can and should do. And well, she, she was a woman, totally a woman in a man's world, and yeah. dealing with all of that. And My she was fearless. She brought a real point of view to it. She wasn't neutral. She, and, and as far as she was concerned, that was the only point of view. She was absolute in her criticism right. of films. I really do recommend it. I think it's on Amazon for a premium of five bucks. And you really get a sense of what criticism is about. And even though she made a lot of enemies and she was very unfiltered and many people experienced her as extremely unkind for no good reason, she still changed the shape of her field. And she yeah. was very much, it's a great study in someone who is completely and unapologetically who they are. Yes. I remember one summer, it was probably my first summer after my first year at UCLA, sitting on my deck and I read, because we worked at the library and I checked out all of her reviews uh, and read uh, them for 
days, maybe mm. two weeks. And I think it really changed the way that I looked at film. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was an education all in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking how brilliant she was and how right. her insights were so unique and deep. And I really felt like I was I was reading someone who was changing the world of uh -huh. cinema. Yeah, and yeah it, makes, it makes you want to go back and read. Yes, and she made me want to go back and watch all of those films that I was reading about and mm -hmm. see them. If I hadn't seen them, I made a point of trying to see them. And at that time, of course, it was different difficult because art houses were the only places that you right. could see second run right. films. Well, this may be an all media podcast because I wanted to talk to you about this very brief documentary that I saw called Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes. And it was mentioned today in the style section, the Sunday style section of the New York Times. A friend of mine had referred me to it. Is it, is it from and, like 50 years ago? Yeah, it's from the 60s. Yeah. Did you ever see it? Yeah. I saw it like 30 years ago. It is really powerful. Well, so yeah. the setup is that a teacher, I think she has a group of third graders, mm -hmm. decides that she's going to teach them about prejudice and discrimination. And she decides that over two days, different groups of the children with different eye colors are going to have different privileges. Mm -hmm. So the first day, because she has blue eyes, she decides that the blue-eyed children are gonna have five extra minutes of recess and the brown-eyed children are not gonna be able to go out at recess at all. Mm -hmm. And the brown-eyed children are not gonna be able to play with blue-eyed children. Mm -hmm. They're not to approach them. Mm -hmm. And they're not gonna be able to play at any other time on any of the playground equipment. Mm -hmm. And she makes assumptions about the brown-eyed people for instance, she says, now, Jimmy, didn't you say that your father kicked you one time? And Jimmy says, yes. She said, now, what color eyes does he have? And he says, brown. And she says, now, what color eyes do you have, blue? Now, can you imagine, Jimmy, can you imagine a blue-eyed father kicking his little boy like that? Wow. She is brilliant at citing examples of behaviors mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and differences. And the, the brown-eyed children have to wear collars, so they're eyes can easily be identified from far away. And she said in an interview, 15 minutes into this exercise or this experiment, she saw her third graders turn into, mm -hmm. they were racist, they were prejudiced, mm -hmm. they were cruel. Right. And it was fascinating because the kids went to recess and one of the boys slugged another boy because the boy had been calling him brown eyes. The blue-eyed boy called him brown eyes. And for 15 minutes, it's on YouTube, blue eyes, brown eyes. It's so worth watching. It's such a fascinating mm -hmm. look into human nature. It's like the Stanford experiment where half the people were prisoners and half the people were guards how they're, I'm, I'm not even sure that whether they found out that that might have been a little bit of a pre-planned experiment. Right. But, but in any case, this is not obviously not and very worth watching. I think when I saw it, I saw it maybe like years after it was made and they interviewed some of the kids who were now adults who were talking about their experiences. Oh, was there any of that in it? I didn't see that part, no. I that would be interesting. I'll look that up. They might have shown it in the context of some other show where they actually looked like a 60 Minutes or something where they got in touch with the kids and, and they, it was intense for them. I really? Mean, yeah. You can see it was very traumatic. Yeah, was, that's why I, I worry about her doing that to these poor little kids. I mean, it was a good object lesson, but yes, scarred them in the process. I thought about that too, but I thought she was really brilliant in being able to say, 
now, does it matter what color eyes you have? Does it matter mm -hmm. what color skin you have? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with these collars? We're going to throw them away. Mm -hmm. And let's all be friends and realize that we're mm -hmm. all the same. And I'm not sure that that took away the trauma of it because yeah. obviously this could really scar somebody. I don't know that anything more fascinating has gone on with me this week. John Lewis died, which was oh, very Oh, yeah. Sad. That was very sad. It is very sad that we lost him. And I mean, 80 does seem young for someone who was such a force of nature. Yeah. You know? But I, one thing I love about him is that when Trump, in quotes, won the election in 2016, he called it illegitimate and he refused to acknowledge him as the president of the United States. Yes. And I thought that was so great. And I called his office to thank him for that. And they were very kind on the phone. But we've regret. lost Elijah Cummings and, and John Lewis in the same year. In the same year, yeah, sad, yeah. But they were exciting and inspiring. They played a quote from him when he was young and during that time, I heard on the radio today, you know, and he was, it was so heartfelt. He said, we want equality. He says, and we want it now. We don't yeah. want to wait. We don't want to wait for it. Yes. And, it, and it was so heartfelt and so simple. And now with the, the benefit of our having advanced some, at least on race issues, it seemed so reasonable. And yet I'm sure when he said it, it was like, who do you think you are? John Lewis did say that he felt, I mean, he was very sick during the times of the, the intensity of the Black Lives Matter protests, but he said, I feel it's different. I feel it's really happening and we can't go back. Anyway, that is. Well, I guess that's it. We've had our sexy liberal hour. <laughs> <laughs> and what sexy liberals we are. Yes. Well, it's time for us to go, boomers. So thanks for checking in with us, and we will talk to you again in a week. Bye bye. Bye. See ya. Uh -huh.